The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by formerly known as the Libra Icon, but now he's Dad Junior 84. What's up, Dwayne? What's going on, yeah? I switched to the initials and basically my name, so yeah. Um, <laughs> I... And it's been a couple weeks, but we back at it. Uh, Super Bowl, we got a champ, and we got some other things to discuss, don't we? Yeah, we do, man. Yeah, we do. Just to let you know, know the score. It's part of the CSPN. You can find us on the web at CSPN.us. You can subscribe to the show through any podcast app. All you have to do is look for KTS Pod the CSPN, and know the score will show up each and every time we record a new episode. So first and foremost, before we get to the Super Bowl, just your thoughts on the championship games where we had the Bucks uh, defeat Green Bay, even though in the second half they tried their damnedest to keep Green Bay in the game. And then uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, got down 9 to nothing, and then proceeded to stop a mud hole in Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, so the championship games, I would say that, yeah, the Bucks really wanted to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, but it's like the rest, uh, well, I ain't going to say the rest, because Kevin King, that was past interference at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was That was a game where Green Bay had plenty of opportunities. Uh, Matt LaFleur coached very scared. In that game, uh, you were a little way too trusting on that defense. And as a result, you ended up losing the game. So you had what turned out to be the three-time MVP now, Aaron Rodgers, in your back pocket. You had a chance to win the game or even tie the game, wherever the situation, I think it was the tie the game. Yeah, it would have been the tie the game because, yeah, yeah, they needed two scores and they kicked the field goal. They were down 11 and they kicked the field yeah. goal and they get eight. I, I don't know if he was playing the CPU Madden on rookie level uh, where they use the timeouts inside the two-minute warning, but you, in those situations when the Super Bowl's on the line, the house trophy's on the line, you got to go for broke. And he did not go for broke. To me, so, that game was more of a referendum on Aaron Rodgers because he had the ball four times, five times in the fourth quarter and couldn't score. Couldn't that, get it done. I could see. I, he couldn't get it done. And at the same time, he couldn't get it done. And so I can – when you put it that way, he had the ball that many times, couldn't get it done. The defense did everything they could to keep him in the game, which is probably understandably to a slight point that you could say I could see why the floor went with the defense in this situation. 
But at the end of the day, the only reason they were in that game is because Tom Brady, well, not really Tom Brady, Bruce Arians wanted to knock Green Bay out. They had done enough to win the game by the middle of the third quarter, but he kept going deep because he wanted to knock them out instead of just win by points and ended up. He won by, you know, he won by decision. But, you know, if he just plays the game out and doesn't try those deep passes and just runs the ball and just say keep making first downs, this is a blowout. Right. If, I mean, yeah. you know, more than it, you know, was at the time that, you know, Tom started throwing those interceptions. Right. Because it, it, was, it was one of the situations where you can look at it from – Many different lenses, and you can kind of say it could have went this way, it could have went that way. Um, I would also say that, uh, you know, Bruce Arians went. We wanted to go for the kill. Uh, there was two. There was a overly aggressive. I guess maybe you say over aggression, or um, on that part, and it backfired, but. Even then, you know, at the end of the day, you had a home field. You had, you had a, you had a pretty decent crowd at Lambeau for that game. They were loud enough to make a, some kind of a difference, and still couldn't get the job done. So, um, it's uh, it's an indictment on everybody, the collective whole, because even when they had the chance. To, because again the over aggression with that pass call. I mean, do I think it was a catchable ball? I mean, if if you turn on the Jets, probably, and so you had no choice but to interfere and hold in this situation. But at the end of the day, you know, you still got to go for broke, and at least if you go for broke and you don't get it, the Bucks. You tip your cap and go from there, but uh, still was a bad coaching decision to me by the floor. Right, right. And then in the AFC, um, the Bills started out good, but they uh, got a field goal, a touchdown, and a missed extra point and only had nine points to show for pretty much dominating the first quarter. And then it was all Kansas City after that. Yeah, that I think uh, – I think the main goal for Kansas City when they fell down early was to get uh, McCall Harmon's confidence back because it was his uh, botched play that led to Buffalo getting that early touchdown and that nine nothing lead, and then and then so they they made a whole bunch of they had a, the big play after he had the big return, then he had the big fifty three yard run after that, then he had the touchdown so. That was to get his head out of get out of his head from that mistake and kind of restore his confidence. And then once once that full confidence was restored, it became it was just a Kansas City slaughter from there. Um I really I really thought the pass rush got to Josh Allen. They frustrated the Bills offensive line uh, throughout the entire game. And then, and you know, Josh Allen could not get anything going late. As the game went on, the you could just tell the that 
offensive line was gassed and the and the defensive line just was feasting on Josh Allen at that point. And and it really just was the beginning of the end for the Bills. But it was one heck of a run by Buffalo. Um you know, Sean McDermott's done a great job. I mean, I call them Carolina North in a sense since they do have a lot of uh, Panther personnel there. But uh, they really kind of shied away from that Carolina North image. They might really be uh, more Carolina due north because, I mean, Washington looks like they're trying to be Carolina North too. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. So... I, that's why I was, that's one of the reasons why I kind of was shedding away from calling them Carolina North since Washington is kind of going in that direction, kind of going in that direction anyway. Might as well rename them the Washington Panthers at this point. Um, so now that'll take us into Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, unlike any others. Uh, hopefully, if you did gather, you kept it very small and contained to people that you know were not, um, you know, feeling bad or anything like that. So, uh, how'd you spend the Super Bowl, Dwayne? I spent the Super Bowl with some wings, and me, myself, and I. I did. I did text a few of my friends and kind of, kind of got their input on the game, but it was just a, it was a solo affair for me. Um, okay. You know, I, I I don't like people at my apartment anyway, so, <laughs> and my apartment wasn't in a good presentable shape, so it was uh, probably for the best that I stayed at home. Um, uh, and so I just got on. I ended. You know, got on, watched the game. Uh, very anticlimactic, for the most part. Um, but yeah, I spent I pretty much spent it solo. I uh, went and watched the game with my cousin, who is a Tampa Bay fan. And so, yeah, he had a he had actually a great sports weekend because Duke and Carolina played on Saturday, and we're Carolina fans. So, Carolina tries they might to try to lose that game, pulled it out and won. <laughs> and then uh, about midway through the third quarter, uh, yeah, my cousin was in uh, you know rare. I'm feeling the championship form. Uh, so yes, uh, it was very entertaining watching his antics and listening to his commentary. Uh, you know, once it was pretty much you know a done deal there uh, in the third quarter. Right. Uh, so we'll get to the game. Everybody knows by now that Tampa Bay behind three Tom Brady touchdowns, they blew out the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9 in what most people were coming to the game anticipating to be maybe an all-time epic Super Bowl, like 42-39 to type deal, just up and down, yeah. back and forth. The last person with the ball probably going to win. Uh, Tampa Bay's defense heard all that during the week, and they said, uh-uh like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Chiefs forced that first uh, couple of three announced there by Tampa Bay, didn't have anything to show for it on their own, and then all of a sudden Tampa Tom Brady gets uh, his rhythm, marched down the field, Arians and Byron Leftwich dial up a beautiful tight end screen to Gronk for an easy walk-in touchdown. And then we get... 
uh, another TD pass to Gronk on kind of like a, a off-schedule play in the red zone. Brady comes around to his third read. There's Gronk in the end zone. And then Antonio Brown caught third. And it might have been Brown caught the middle touchdown. Then Gronk caught his second touchdown in the game. But uh, Brady ends up with three touchdowns. Like Garrett Blunt basically put the game away for all intents and purposes with a 27-yard Leonard touchdown. Oh, excuse me. You know why I said LeGarrette Blunt? Because that's what he looked like. Because that's, that's usually what LeGarrette Blunt would do in that situation. Uh, yeah, Leonard <laughs> Fournette. Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, Leonard Fournette um, playing the role of LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, got that 27-yard touchdown in the third quarter, and from there it was pretty much a wrap. Um uh, watching the game early on uh, before time kind of really got going when he was scuffling, I told my cousin, I was like, man, y'all need to just stick with the run a little bit more. I was like, because, you know, I, early returns is they not going to be able to hold up against that if y'all, you know what I'm saying, go that route. And, uh, you know, proved to be that the running game was a very big part of the game there uh, in the second quarter into the third quarter. Um on Kansas City side, just never really got into a rhythm. Uh, they had a couple of, you know, they had some scoring drives, uh, but they all ended in field goals. Their punter was nervous as I don't know what because he shanked like Shanks, his first Bill. two punts. Uh, so, you know, that didn't help the cause at all for Kansas City's defense. Uh, Tyron Matthew was the guy that Tom Brady decided he wanted to pick on. He's actually picked on one one to two cornerbacks in every game. Uh, it was uh, Kendall Fuller and Jimmy Moreland in the Washington game. It was Kenny King in the Green Bay game. And in this game, it was Tyron Matthew. Yeah. And, yeah. And not only did he pick on him through the air, he picked on him verbally, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... Go ahead. I've never seen Kansas City so rattled until that point. And the reason – and I was really wanting to say this when I was talking about them in the AFC Championship game, the same thing that they did to Josh Allen is what happened to them with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, right. The offensive line was gas. The Bucks defense was relentless. Um, I will say this. I, I will say this. You know whose name I saw at the starting lineup of this game for Kansas City? Who? Oh, Brenner. Bream, the dude from Carolina? Mike Remmers. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Remmers. As soon as I saw that name, I was, I even put on Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I'm praying for Patrick Mahomes in advance because <laughs> I have flashbacks of Super Bowl 50 when he was paired up with Von Miller. And Von Miller straight abused him. Yeah. And um, the defense for Tampa Bay recorded three sacks. Uh, I think they said they had 29, like, pressures and – or was that hits? Yeah, it was yeah. something. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Like, 29 hits on him or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, basically, every pass he threw just about, he got hit or knocked down. Right. Yeah, and Shaquille Barrett was opposite of Mike Remmers. And Shaquille Barrett seemed to just get to Mike uh, Patrick Mahomes, especially in the second half. It seemed like every time Mahomes sucked back to drop, he was going back about 50 yards. Right. Because he didn't get scrambles. Right. And, and Mahomes' you know, escapability was shocking to the Bucks wide receivers because I watched the NFL films. 
of of Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Scotty Miller. They were just like, how the how in the world is he getting that ball off with all and they were just, I mean, to be impressed with just the incomplete passes is amazing, but uh, it just seemed like Mahomes was doing everything he could, even on a bum toe, um, a bum toe, a tattered offensive line, because they didn't have Eric Fisher. He was out with the Achilles. They didn't have their right tackle. Uh, so they really, it was a patchwork offensive line on the outside, which that's feasting for Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaquille Barrett, and others, and Dominican Sue just being a terror on the inside as well. That allowed the secondary to kind of just play back and, you know, not let Tyreek Hill go deep on them, which was the problem in the first game. Um, and then, yeah, Kansas City, I mean, aside from Travis Kelsey, who even had a couple of drops himself, but he was the only one that really could get any kind of offense mustered up for the Chiefs. And as a result, that's kind of how it just went. Like, the more, the most entertaining part of the game eventually became the streaker. <laughs> um here's what happened. Remember when we talked about uh having played them before and having played the yep. and, and knew what the speed was, right? You're and right. how they, you know, they tried to play them man up, you know what I'm saying? We 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 got these cornerbacks and safeties we're going to play all man up. Uh, okay, nah. It didn't work that way. So this time Todd Bowles showed them the same thing. They they lined up like they was from the play, like big boy football one-on-one. -on -one. He blitzed them a couple of times early to make it look, to give Patrick Mahomes and them to feel that, okay, we they going to try to maybe do that same thing again. But then after he realized that, oh, you know what? Patrick Mahomes is not playing the way that he usually plays. We got them. Because in every game I've seen the teams take the slow death approach, Patrick Mahomes mm -hmm. executed the slow death. This game, right. for some reason, he did not execute the slow death. I don't know if it was because he was playing Tom Brady. I just don't know what. But all they had to do was run the ball and throw short passes and just go down the field 10 to a place. Tampa Bay was like, hey, we'll let you do that all night long. We'll Kelsey had 11 catches. Could have had 22 if they would have stuck with the game. Does just a, you know, slow death game plan. Sure, we'll give it to right. slow. They started at that drive in the third quarter where they went down and got the field goal, fizzled out on them. That was mm -hmm. the approach they needed to be taking the whole game. Run right. it with the lair, get the five or six, seven yards. Take the quick pass to Kelsey, move the chain, just keep making first downs, keep making first downs, keep making first downs. But it seems like they would make a first down, get a little momentum, and then all of a sudden, here comes a try to go. Here comes a super long drop back to try to get a big one. And it's just like, what are you doing? Right, and exactly. Patrick yes. Mahomes wasn't helping himself out because he was looking like a young quarterback, like all these, uh, you know, running quarterbacks. He was going backwards in the pocket instead of like right. stepping up and trying to find holes to, you know, move he forward. Was looking like a young Russell Wilson, right? Right. Just I'm, running everywhere for his life. <laughs> I mean, earlier in the game, he ran a couple of times, escaped out through, and and made some nice positive yards, some positive runs. But you know, he stopped doing that uh, with. when 
when they, you know, was just coming at him with the four linemen, it was like, man, just step up, slide over to the left, to the right. Don't, you know, retreat because your your men are never going to be able to block for you that far back. Exactly. Like, just do a a Drew Brees in his prime move. Just slide, sidestep. Go up in the pocket, launch it like you always do. Yeah, yeah. So I just don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if it was just you know he was playing Tom Brady at the Super Bowl or the game plan or whatever, but they just did not execute that slow death uh, offense that I'd seen him run against Buffalo. I seen them run that against um, who else played real far back and didn't let them do much. And they kind of just had to run like early in the season when it was with Carolina. Yeah. When it was was making all those yards and having those big games, that was because he was just checking into the run, checking in. Okay. You can play two safeties back. Fine. We'll run. But he, he did, he didn't operate that way. And yeah, man, I think they just wanted to do something electric to kind of, Get that, get that momentum, get, get that, that energy up. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it fizzled out and it backfired ultimately. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Tom Brady, he won his seventh Super Bowl. So as an individual, he has one more Super Bowl than the whole Pittsburgh Steelers organization who has the most uh, as a team with six. And, and more than the Patriots. <laughs> yes, yes. And he won his fifth Super Bowl MVP. Uh, so he's got more, as many MVPs as Patriots have titles and f- more MVPs than the 49ers have titles. I mean, it is just remarkable. More than every every team. Right. He's got more MVPs. <laughs> yeah, he's got just as many MVPs as, as Super Bowl wins now. So just about. So just another. Um, you know, what can you say more type superlative can you say for a guy who's been playing for 20 years? Think we've seen him do it all. Goes down to Tampa with this, you know, COVID uh, shortened offseason training camp, no preseason games, guys coming in and out during the season. Um, you know, he's being the general manager. He's being the semi, you know, offense coordinator at the same time. I mean, he just took everybody and lifted them up and said, come on, I can take you. There. Pretty pretty much because that's when that's basically that's basically when uh, when this team because this team was not anywhere near a Super Bowl contender before Brady arrived. Like, this was the door. They were the doormat of the NFC South. Uh, Comes in, changes the culture. And unfortunately, you know, as a Panther fan, I hate it, but it is what it is. And, you know, for, for Western Florida... Tampa Bay, I mean, you have the Rays in the AL in the World Series, even though they lost, they won the AL pennant. You had the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, and now you have the Bucks winning the Super Bowl. So uh, it's really been the year of Tampa Bay's really been the title town for this year. Yeah, man. It's been, um, you know, really the biggest, I mean, I mean, they know take what you will the biggest upgrade they made was they went from 30 for 30 with Jameis to you know Tom Brady yeah. and and it got him the ultimate prize at the end which is like you know it's 
this is where everybody expected him to be coming into the season, at least in the Super Bowl. Maybe not to win it, but at least to be there. But just the journey and the path that they took made it where you were doubting it, you know, especially that second game against Tampa Bay where they got, I mean, uh, uh, New, uh, New Orleans where they got hammered. And you were just like, I don't know. But, yeah, man, they, uh, they, they got it together and they hoisted the trophy. And I think the video of Tom Brady leaving the boat parade might have been the most endearing <laughs> image of him throughout his 20 years of NFL football. I think he right. became human to a lot of people who maybe didn't like him or had a dislike yeah. for him just because he won so much. To see him leaving that uh, boat parade <laughs> three sheets in the wind <laughs> going around during and the, the tweet afterwards and yeah. the tweet afterwards that he made because he was that tweet was all over the place yeah. <laughs> and then uh him you know just the videos of him interacting with his teammates all lit like that walking up to antonio winfield with the two with the peace sign up and stuff yeah man it, i think that tom brady gained a lot of um new, a lot of new fans uh um, yeah or endeared himself to some people who might not have, you know, thought that highly of him uh, just in that right. one moment of him being just a regular dude, you know? Yeah, exactly. I agree. I'll count me as one of them, even though I hated that he won the Super Bowl for the Bucks, but it was, that was fun to watch. I mean, uh, and, you know, for the guys that, that have been there for a long time, like Levante David, um, who else? Uh, Carlton Davis, uh, those guys who have been through the the low points. Um, Ali Marpet, Donovan Smith, uh, the guys on the line. So those guys who have been there for a long time for the Buccaneers, those guys are the ones that really deserve it because they've seen the low. They've seen the low points of this franchise uh then you know now they get to be etched in in the annals of time as super bowl champions so that's right. really special for them before we move off of the bucks just want to give a big shout out to bruce arians and the makeup of that coaching staff um yes they put out a picture and it looked like he's the only white guy coaching that team <laughs> right <laughs> Right. Uh, they had they have a female, a black female assistant coach. They have uh, both offensive and defensive coordinators are black. Special teams coach is black. Uh, uh, yes. Quarterbacks coach is black. So, um, yeah, man, just a, a lot of um, diversity and Bruce Arians providing a lot of opportunities uh, for those gentlemen to maybe you know move up the ranks, become head coaches, uh, giving them a chance to coordinate and you know have that responsibility under his watch. And now they're all Super Bowl champions. So be interesting to see, Absolutely. Um, you know, when the next hiring cycle comes around, if Byron Leftwood and Todd Bowles and those guys are uh, a part of the deal. Um, I think okay. I think so, especially with uh, Todd Bowles. I mean, he's been a head coach before. Uh, I don't think probably didn't have the best environment uh, being in New York with the Jets. Yeah, and he had but, Smith as a quarterback. That, that didn't help him. Yeah. Either. Yeah, at all. I mean, come on. It's Geno Smith shouldn't have been anywhere near the second round of that draft anyway, but that's another story for another day. Uh but um yeah, I think he I think he deserves another opportunity. Uh, I've been a Byron Leftwich fan since Marshall, so 
Uh, Byron Leftwich looks in better shape as a coach than he ever did as a player. He does. He really does. <laughs> That's the wildest part. Like he looks like he can go out and play right now. Right. And and so, uh, but yeah, he he did a magnificent job uh, as an offensive he was, coordinator. He was the middleman, and I don't think a lot of people yeah. really have sat back and understood maybe just how difficult his job was this year where, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, Bruce Arians is calling out Tom and, you know, there's that little Tom thing going. Tom is not happy with Bruce. Right, right. And and the guy who had to, you know, kind of be the conduit between the two of those and kind of mailed, hey, this is what Bruce wants to do. This is what Tom likes to do was Byron Leftwich. And I, I think that he right. has not gotten enough praise uh, for the job that he did, especially in the second half of the season. Uh, I think yes. the you know new season starts back up, and you know we get a little bit farther removed from the Tom Brady just effect. I think that people will start to look at that and say, you know what, yeah, he did a fantastic job uh, um, in the second half of this season, uh, getting that offense on track, keeping it on track, uh, changing it up while at the same time being true to what they wanted to do uh, as far as Bruce Arians' philosophies and everything. Uh, speaking of the coaching carousel, the last spot got filled by David Cully, a former special teams coach for the Ravens. Um, uh, he's like a, a older gentleman uh, in his 50s. And with that hiring, that prompted Deshaun Watson to formally request a trade from the Houston Texans. It was widely reported that he wanted them to uh, interview and hire Eric B. Enemy. Uh, of course, with the Texans' ownership and the way that they're running their organization right now, they didn't listen. So Deshaun Watson did the only thing that he possibly can do uh, is request a trade. So now everybody is on where's Deshaun Watson going to go. Everybody wants to try to get in on the sweepstakes uh, as much as they can because you've got a 25-year-old quarterback who's established himself that he can play and can be you know uh, the face of your franchise and the face of the league and he's available but the Texans said they aren't going to trade him Uh, but it's still February. We'll see what this sounds like around the draft in June, July, as the season approaches. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson's in a position as a quarterback. He's got enough, you know, guaranteed money, upfront money. If he wants to hold out and sit out, it wouldn't hurt him. He wouldn't have to, you know, come back just because, you know, his pockets is hurting. Uh, he could stay true to his convictions. Um, but uh, you're feeling ultimately, do the Texans finally relent and trade him somewhere? They will, and it's, it usually happens with with um, most teams in this situation. They have no obligation to trade them, which they don't. But it becomes a distraction. It becomes it becomes a problem. You start asking everybody, like, "Have you heard from Deshaun? What's Deshaun gonna do? How do you feel about Deshaun doing this, doing that, this, that, and the third? Um it's going to happen eventually. It's just not going to happen right away. Right. I think. I think if if anything, if you really want, I mean, yes, the Eagles have a talented QB in Jalen Hurts, but if Houston wants to get into the draft, maybe you do a 
watching for Wentz trading. No, the... no, 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 they wanna, <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's what they do. Here's here's what they should do. If I'm going to trade Deshaun Watson, I'm only trading him to one team. Jacksonville. Give me the number one pick. You can have this quarterback that's already established. Let us go ahead, start everything over fresh with Trade with the rifle though? With 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 sunshine and we'll go from there. That doesn't matter, dude. You're gonna be so far you're gonna be so far ahead of them with Deshaun Watson. Uh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Jacksonville will be so far ahead of them with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, don't it's the number one pick, homie. <laughs> I get it. I get I, I get that, but I just don't see I just don't see him trading with a rival though. Like, Dude, that's that's was... that's old that's old business. That that's that's old thinking. <laughs> this is this is new thinking, man. This is draft capital at its finest. If I can have the number one over okay. If I can go from one generational Clemson talent to the next generational Clemson talent, then fine. I'll do it because I don't, like you said, you don't want the distraction. You don't want, you know, because the people are going to side with Deshaun Watson regardless. So you don't want, you don't want the fan base to be so sour that they, they stop coming to the games because Deshaun Watson's not playing. So to kind of, Lessen the blow. I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, from, from that standpoint, yeah. From to lessen the blow of losing Deshaun Watson, you get the promise of the you know the quote unquote best talent since Andrew Luck to come out of the draft. Yeah, that's a no brainer for me. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, if I mean, and in the sense, you know, Houston gets back into the draft. But yeah, I. But either way, I mean, if you do trade him, you. Houston's getting back in the draft it, one way or another. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Because they have zero draft picks right now. Yeah. Not in the first like the, three rounds, I think. Jeremy Tunsil. It's like, thanks, Jeremy Tunsil. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill uh, O'Brien did himself no favors because they were trying to, they thought they were in a, a window when they really weren't. And. Yeah. And so he mortgaged, you know, all those drafts. The future. Yeah, to try to get that, you know, that instant gratification and, and it never surfaced. So that's kind of the, one of the deals as we uh, shift more into this quarterback uh, carousel that that's going on in the NFL. Um, that's the reason, one of the reasons why I'm glad that Washington looks like they're kind of going to stay pat. And not, um, you know, overextend themselves when it comes to try to trade for a bigger named quarterback. Uh, uh, Rivera said basically, uh, you know, you know, we are not going to um, mortgage the future. Not really mortgage the future, but make our cupboard so bare in getting this quarterback that when he gets here, he ain't got nothing to work with. Right. So you know, they're basically looks like that they're gonna try to they resign Tyler Hank, uh, Heineke, the guy who started in the playoff game. So it looks like they're gonna have like a, if Alex Smith is healthy, then Alex Smith will start if Alex Smith wants to play. The only question with Alex Smith is if Alex Smith comes back, how many games is he gonna play? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's, he's no good if he's going to play eight games. You know what I'm saying? Right. We need him to at least get to 13. You know what I'm saying? If he can play 13, then that gives Washington a decent chance to be in the playoff mix with the harder schedule next year. But yeah. if they're going to say Alex is our starter and you only get 
five weeks out of them, then, you know, they could be, yeah, they could be in a situation where they're at the top of the draft next year. Um, But that brings us to the blockbuster trade that did happen uh, where Matt Stafford went from Detroit to the LA Rams, uh, basically for Jared Goff, uh, first round pick, some future first round picks, and a third round pick. Uh, sounds like Washington was in on that too, but basically Detroit was like, um, "Yeah, you ain't got nobody in your quarterback room that we really want back, so no, we're not gonna trade with y'all." Yeah, Carolina was in on it too because they offered the eighth pick and Teddy Bridgewater, and Detroit was like, "Nah." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Carolina is, you know, actively in the market for quarterback. Uh, the Jets have Sam Darnold. They don't know if they're going to stay or hold or stay or pass with him. Uh, the longer it goes, though, it looks like they're kind of going to maybe keep, keep him and try to pair him with uh, Smith, who won the Heisman from Alabama, and see if they can get that's that. What I, that's what I said. And. That's what I said, and because that would be because they don't unless they had the number one pick and got Trevor Lawrence. There's no need to go after the, any of the other quarterbacks in the draft, honestly, uh, for the Jets in this situation. They need a receiver since Robbie Anderson left. They don't have a they don't have a primary target. Right. They it was really just a hodgepodge of guys and you really had nobody to really kind of be a playmaker. So uh Devontae Smith would be the no brainer for the Jets at number two. Right. I, I, if they don't if Joe Douglas does not make that pick, then he needs to be fired that that on pick number three. <laughs> um so <laughs> That domino of Stafford moving has kind of shifted everybody into motion. Uh, there's all types of rumors and talks. There's talks about maybe Kirk Cousins getting reunited with Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco, with Jimmy G getting reunited with Bill Belichick back in uh, New England. Um, you know, so Which would probably be beneficial. Because... Yeah, there's Cam Newton out there. Is he going to be a backup or not? There's Dak. You know, are the Cowboys going to pay him? Or are they going to franchise him? Or are they going to just let? Well, they got to they got to sign him because he's hurt. So they can't release a yeah. player. So he's at least going to be on the team. But is he going to get his long term contract? Um, he's probably going to get franchised. Right. Uh, this Philadelphia situation with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz looks like he's going to get traded now, and they're going to go with Jalen Hurts. This Carson Wentz. Schefter said this weekend he's going to get traded. I ain't heard nothing. So, well, you know, these that. things take time, you know, you, you know, you know, so they take time. But, yeah, so now this, that's set into motion, just a whole bunch of uh, silliness around these quarterbacks. You got Teddy Bridgewater on the on the clock, too, in Carolina. Right. Uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater's only, you know, his, his downfall is just that he's not a – win the game type of quarterback, but he's also not a, like, lose the game type of quarterback. He's just a game manager in the purest form, and I think Matt Rule was looking for a little bit more of a risk taker at that position that he got out of Teddy Bridgewater, and I think really that's... very safe. Right, and I think that's kind of what soured him on Teddy Bridgewater, just, you know, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really, you know, risk the biscuit, as uh, Arians would say. Uh, I think 
I think there was a lot of buyer's remorse with that situation. And now they kind of looking back on maybe we should have probably gave Cam one more year to prove himself in Carolina. Because at least, at least with Cam, he does take more risks than Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know how it would have been with the offense, but there was a little bit of trepidation. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm glad, you know, that situation kind of, you know, when it kind of worked itself out uh, at the time. But I could kind of see if there was a little bit of, little bit of, uh, what's the word? Yeah, buyer's remorse a little bit um, with that situation. Uh, just go through the offseason awards really fast. Uh, like you said, Aaron Rodgers, MVP, his third time uh, winning that award. Aaron Donald, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, Chase Young, Defensive Player, Rookie of the Year. Uh, Justin Herbert, Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Alex no Smith, named uh, Comeback Player of the Year. Another no-brainer. Right, Chase Young too. Even though it was close there for a while with the uh, the dude from Carolina, right? Yes, which I which I strongly feel like should have won Defense Rookie of the Year, but I'm biased. But congratulations, <laughs> Chase. Yeah, so uh, those are the awards, and then the new Hall of Fame class uh, that was announced. We had Peyton Manning leading the way, of course, no brainer first ballot. We had Megatron. His first time eligible getting in, which is which is great for a receiver because you know it's kind of difficult for those guys to get in. Uh, just ask Drew Pearson, um, Charles right. Woodson as well. His first time on the ballot, he got a chance. Uh, he he was nominated as well, and the aforementioned Drew Pearson finally made it into the Hall of Fame uh, after all these years being uh, a part of the ballot. So. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a few more people that I, I didn't mention um, that were named for the Hall of Fame, but those were the, you know, when everybody gets ready to make that trip after these vaccines get in their arm to Canton in August, that's who they coming to see. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm here with my co-host, Dwayne. Dwayne, we'll shift it over quickly to the NBA. Um... LeBron James said, um, you know, Adam Silver, you've been doing a great job, and I'm pretty much been down with just about every move you've made. But, um, yeah, this All-Star game, we don't really need to be doing that. Now, I love to go spend the weekend in Atlanta, but I just don't want to go spend the weekend in Atlanta and play in the All-Star game because we're having these outbreaks. There's this pandemic, and, you know, Kevin Durant got caught up in it last week uh, with one of his associates having an inconclusive test. So he got pulled out. Then when the test came back inconclusive, they let him play. Then they played for a quarter and then all of a sudden the test came back positive so they had to yank him back out of the game and he's all frustrated and and has some things to say so uh you know Giannis and a couple other players De'Aaron Fox were just kind of like yo you know we should De'Aaron Fox was the first one to just be like nah I don't think that's a good idea and then when LeBron came out and said what he had to say about you know hey that's kind of what they told us we weren't going to do it then all of a sudden the Players Association came to us and said there's going to be an all-star game they didn't agree to it it's like I don't think it's right he's like I'll be there you know because I'm obligated to so I'll be there physically but I won't be there mentally and then Giannis basically was like hey if the big dogs say we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't do it. 
and uh, so so yeah, so that's kind of where the NBA is right now, as far as you know the major story uh, that's kind of brewing underneath the surface of the games being played, and then the little national anthem. Uh, with the Mavericks where they were not playing it and then it took 13 games and somebody realized it and then Mark Cuban was like well you know it's we're considering not doing it anymore and the NBA stepped in and was like yo we have these rules so go ahead and fire that thing back up before the game right now you don't have to be out there for it but you have to play it is kind of their 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 edict yeah, basically, what and yeah, I get you know. I mean, if it's uh, if it's what they want to do, then that's you know their prerogative. Even though the NBA says all the teams must play the national anthem, but what really just annoyed me a little bit was the Dallas Stars making the statement because you know the Stars are the co-tenants of the Mavericks mm-hmm. at the American Airlines Center. They go on the record and they they just had to interject themselves into the situation when nobody asked them to, really. <laughs> that's the part I think that's the part that annoyed me the most. Yeah, Weaver the playing of the national anthem is a time honored tradition. The Dallas Stars will continue to perform the Star Spangled Banner prior to our games at American Airlines Center. As the only NHL team in Texas, we are proud to represent our state and our country. Nobody asked y'all <laughs> to interject and put your little two cents in. And besides, they just want their fans to yell stars every time the word star comes around in the, in the national anthem. If you ever go to a Hurricanes game against the stars, and I'm sure you have been, and you know there's probably a couple Stars fans. Don't they yell Stars every single time the Star comes around? Mm-hmm. So they just wanted to just be – they just wanted to interject themselves into something that had nothing to do with them. This is involving your co-tenants. Stay on your side of the arena and shut up. Well. Okay, I'm done. That was my little rant for the – Well, hold on. Catch your breath. Since you brought it up, and you are officially the hockey guy now, uh, okay. the the season for some teams is about fifteen games in. For other teams, it's about ten, depending on you know your COVID situations. Uh, just some major storylines and some developments uh, through the first quarter of this hockey season. All right, so I'm gonna start locally here with the. Nashville Predators, who have looked every bit of the definition of up and down this season. And so the pro- the thing is with the Preds is they have they have team they beat the teams they're supposed to, but they look like the Ottawa Senators basically when they they look like the Tampa Bay Lightning when they play when they beat the teams they're supposed to, and then they look like the Ottawa Senators when they are playing the good teams. Um, they played the Tampa Bay Lightning, the reigning Stanley Cup champions, four times in eleven days: two in Nashville, two in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay basically trounced them, especially in Nashville, forcing the Preds to have a closed door meeting on. Basically, a players only meeting, and you know, anytime a players only meeting is brought up, things aren't going all that great. Yeah, because uh, I mean, the coaches might be the one on the outside soon. 
Right. Uh, but the problem is for the Predators is, A, he has a multi-year contract. B, they just made a coaching change last year when they yeah. fired LaViolette, which right. I think was a big right. mistake. Uh, so... So there's a lot of bad mistakes that were made. I mean, you fired LaViolette. That was mistake number one. You hired John Hines, who is not the sharpest knife in the drawer, honestly. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, this this last game against Tampa Bay, he literally, I think he just threw bad silly putty at the wall and hope it stuck. And it only worked for four minutes and 43 seconds because the Lightning trounced the Preds six to one on national television. So that's not a good thing there. Uh, Speaking of the Lightning, the reigning Stanley Cup champions, they are off to a nine one and one start. Um, This team is very, very, this team's on point, man. Like they're showing why they are. The division champs, they play They play brilliant hockey. Uh, you know, they're very skilled. Uh, they're the best team out in the NHL right now. Uh, actually, the second best team because the Boston Bruins are 9-1-2. The Toronto Maple Leafs are 11-2-1. So the Maple Leafs have 23 points. The Bruins have 20. And the Lightning are at 19. Uh, Vegas, who's had some COVID issues, they are leading the West Division uh, with 17 points, and then and then uh, the Devils have had COVID. So a lot of teams have had COVID issues. Uh, the Devils have only played nine games. Sabers ten. Uh, Vegas has played ten. Carolina's played ten. Uh, Florida's played ten, and Dallas has played ten. Um, but there's a lot of everything is pretty tight right now. Uh, you know, Carolina's fifth in the central division, a point behind Columbus for that last spot. Um, and then, uh, Arizona and Anaheim battling for the last playoff spot, the Islanders, Penguins, and in the north with all the Canadian teams, Winnipeg and Calgary and Vancouver kind of battling it out right now and Ottawa is just sitting there at five points through 14 games so a lot of it's a sprint to the finish is literally a full-on sprint and you know if if you are off to a bad start you got to turn around quick fast and in a hurry because the games are going to run out very very fast right right all right, man. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to you for your final thoughts and your shout outs and thank yous. Uh, shout out to shout out to you. Shout out to the listeners. Uh, shout out to uh, all the CSPN, uh, CSPN hosts, uh, podcasters. Uh, rest in peace to the push. Um, and, you know, I want to just uh, thank everybody for being you know, supporters of the show uh, throughout throughout the uh, time we've been on. Uh, so my final thought, uh, I'm going to basically say that we kind of touched back on the All-Star game a little bit. I'm in full agreement uh, with the players here. I don't think the All-Star game is really necessary to have this year. I mean... We already got 
I mean, if you we already, if you, my suggestion was don't play the game. Just do the Saturday night and just you know acknowledge everybody there that has just you know, hey, we're gonna do the social distance skills night. We'll you know um, acknowledge all the people who made the All Star team and just spend one day there and get the heck on. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, that would be good because it's really, it's really unnecessary to have this go around. We can live without, we can live without the All Star game this yeah, year. Like, but you, but you know what? All these things come down to at the end of the day, it's contracts it's the out there, the man, and this is money. And the TV people power are like, hey, man, we need our All Star game because you contractually obligated to give it to us. So you need to produce right. that. Right. And yeah, that's the only yeah, I think that's the only um thing I have aside from that, I just think it's you know, it is about the power of the dollar. Um I was going to I was going to uh I'll let you have your final thought, uh, because I'm excited for what your final thought is because I've got a couple of them. Um, first off, uh, last Saturday night was one of the best nights. If you're a pure just basketball fan, you had Duke and Carolina uh, playing in a weird setting, Cameron with no fans. Uh, if you're a fan of the North Carolina Tar Heels, they did something you didn't think they could do. They actually made double-digit three-pointers in a game for the first time this season, and they shot the ball very well from three-point line. Uh, defense was a little shaky towards the end but they held on beat duke there is a very good possibility that duke will not make the ncaa tournament unless they hold an acc tournament and they get super hot and and they would probably have to win it or at least play virginia and virginia tech and beat both of them to get into the tournament this year uh, so duke wild. kansas and kentucky could possibly all miss the tournament this year um, Easy on Kansas, man. Easy on Kansas. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I know it hurts your heart. Um, then, um, right after that Duke and Carolina game, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic put on a show for the ages. Uh, Steph Curry had a very pedestrian first quarter, and then he erupted for 57 for the rest of the game. Luka Doncic had 42. Uh, it was just one of the uh, one of a, a old school duel. Um, the Mavericks ended up pulling it out, but I mean, like I said, back when they were starting their run, I've never been as entertained watching anything in basketball as much as Steph Curry catch fire and just shoot these shots. Yeah. Off one dribble, off no dribble, pull up from the logo. Uh, it, it just yeah. just a, a wizard out there last Saturday against Luca. I told my buddies, I was like, man, it's like, y'all about to watch that? That's like, man, I don't know. I'm about to go home. I'm probably, you know, just go rest. <laughs> I was like, dude, is Luca in. I was like, it's Luca and um and Steph in primetime. They the only game right now. I was like, man, you know they're gonna put on a show. And they did not disappoint. And then thirdly and lastly, as the raindrops begin to fall in Daytona, this weekend is scheduled to be the Daytona 500 start of the NASCAR season. But if you are living in the Southeast, you know that this next like 
four or five days is supposed to be full of just weather, all types of rain and ice and snow from Florida to, you know, Maryland and Washington, D.C. So there's probably a very low possibility that the race will get uh, ran on Sunday because Sunday is supposed to be a pretty washout day in Florida again. But maybe they can find a window and get it in. But let's be starting the race. Yeah. Um, so Bubba Wallace going to be out there. The new Jordan uh, team driving the 23 car. And he has got a very good chance to be a major player in this race. Uh, he qualified fourth uh, last night in the qualifying effort. Uh, Daytona is the only race where they only set the first two rows with that qualifying and then everybody else races uh, to figure out their position. Uh, unfortunately, he was he's in the second dual race of the evening that is currently uh, getting washed out as we record this. But hopefully they can get it in. Uh, if not, I guess they'll just kind of go back on the speed that those guys used in qualifying. But yeah, he's got a really strong car. He's got uh, the most money he's had behind him in his uh, NASCAR Cup uh, Series career um, with the sponsors, with Jordan, with Toyota, with Denny Hamlin, Joe Gibbs as well. Huh? And Pitbull too. No, Pitbull is, is, is another team. He's got, another team? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got a team, but yeah, he's it's a different team. But uh they have a Latino um, driver, of course, right? Daniel Suarez. Right. Um but uh yeah, so just uh if you're if you, you know, as NASCAR was the only thing going on there for a few months, if you got into it or you're, you know, intrigued by the black driver in NASCAR, definitely tune in to when they drop that green flag at Daytona, uh, whenever this they drop the it. Time. Yeah, if they drop it on Sunday, if they drop it on Monday, uh, definitely check it out because he is going to be in the mix. That car is going to be on TV a whole lot uh, because he's going to be near the front, I think. And around, if it goes off like it's supposed to at 2.30, around 7 o'clock, 7.15, we could be in the midst of some black history in the making. So Bubba Wiles will become the first driver since Wendell Scott to win a NASCAR race and be the first black driver to ever win the Daytona 500. So I am super excited for this race. Uh, Bubba has been close the last couple of times they've raced on these really big tracks. He was going to the lead in the last few laps in the summer race at Daytona. Got wrecked by Joey Logano, unfortunately, even with a wrecked race car finished fifth. Then uh, at Talladega, he was leading the race with about eight or nine laps to go but uh there's a learning curve that you have to, there's one thing to be, he had to learn how to a not wreck then he had to learn b how to make it to the front then he had to learn c how to get near the end and now he had to learn his he's got one more lesson to learn and that's how to keep those boys behind him when he gets out front so hopefully he can Denny and him have gone to school because Denny Hamlin is a two-time defending Daytona 500 champion who is his car owner. So hopefully him and Denny have sat down and Denny's kind of coached him up about what he needs to do if he gets back in that situation again. And he can bring it home, man. I, I'm very excited for Bubba Wallace's uh, season this year. Um, 
Hopefully he can get that first, you know, that first career Cup Series win. Uh, doesn't have to be Daytona. It could be anywhere. Uh, it would just be a, a major, major, major milestone for NASCAR and the season that they are really banking a lot on. They've got a lot of momentum coming off of last year. Um, they're hoping to attract new fans, i.e. black people, because of Bubba and the band of the Confederate flag and just the interest uh, that Michael Jordan is going to bring uh, uh, just alone by men in the series. So, yeah, a lot of things are on the uptick for NASCAR this year. Uh, they're definitely going to try to vault themselves back into the island of relevancy, as one Roman Reigns would say. <laughs> right. Hey, before we go, I think Kansas has a great shot to get back in the top 25. I'm, gonna, I'm defending my team real quick. Okay. okay. They, have a, they have a chance to get back in the top 25. They beat Oklahoma State. They got their payback against the Cowboys. They're crushing Iowa State right now. I mean, even though Iowa State ain't nobody, but a win's a win. They play Iowa State again, the return game at Hilton, which that could go either way at this point. And hopefully by Monday we should see a number back by KU's name. Um, Kentucky, though, yeah, Kentucky's definitely, if they unless they run the SEC tournament, they're definitely out. And, yeah, Duke is probably – they're going to need to have a big run, too. So. All right. All right. And also, I have a gripe, too. Why is Texas Tech ranked seventh with six losses? Hmm. It's a topsy-turvy world when it comes to college basketball this year, man. I mean, somebody's got to be in the top ten with all your traditional people having down seasons. So. Which is fine. I have, and I have no problem with that. But Texas Tech has six losses. I mean, Houston should be ranked higher than them. Villanova or UVA should be higher. As much as I hate them, Missouri should be ranked. I mean, I think Missouri should be trash wherever they go. But Missouri should be ranked higher than them. Like, there's no reason why Texas Tech should be ranked number seven. And they have six losses. That is shenanigans at its finest. All right, I'm done. Okay, I'm done. Because I'm going to, I want to continue to rant, and I'm not going to. I don't have time to rant, so I'll leave it alone for now. <laughs> Uh, just, you know, uh, continue to support CSPN by going to CSPN.us. Listen to all of our podcasts. Uh, give them five-star reviews, rate and review. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. Do some shopping with our sponsors to help keep the show free each and every week. Also, check out extra content over on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. So, for my co-host, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.